Let's open the scriptures together to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Continue working our way through this chapter, which gives us a portrait of Christian love. We've been looking at the features of that portrait one at a time, and we come now to verse 5. So for our text, we'll take the first part of verse 5, and I'll read the whole chapter. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Once again, I call your attention to the opening phrase of verse 5. Charity doth not behave itself unseemly. One of the things that we are all taught from our youth up, and if we have children of our own, one of the things we teach our children from their earliest days, is to have good manners, to be well behaved. We can think of many these good manners that we instill in them from their earliest days. We teach them, our children, how to sit at a table properly, teach them to wait their turn, teach them to share with others, to be polite, to say please and thank you, to be respectful to those who are older to them, to Not rush ahead of someone through an open door, but to hold a door open for someone, particularly a person who might have difficulty getting through the door by themselves. And on and on we could go. Good manners. And while while some of these behaviors might simply be social conventions, the norms of acceptable behavior in our society, for many of them there is much more behind what we call good manners. In fact, that's what our text is addressing tonight. Our text teaches us that there is something more behind many of the things that we call good manners or good behavior, more than just conforming to social conventions. 
hearts, but rather charity behaveth itself not unseemly. And to state that positively is to say love is well-mannered. Good manners are an expression of love. This is perhaps one of the more unexpected parts of 1 Corinthians 13. The things that we have looked at, the different features of the portrait of love that we've seen, they make sense. Those strike us as very important. But something as ordinary and everyday as manners, the little things of how we behave, that too, and the answer of the text is yes. The whole will of God, as we have seen emphasized over and over again, the whole will of God for us is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that love of God is to fill every part of our life. It's to animate everything that we do. 99% is not enough. 100% of who we are and what we do, love. And thus our manners our day-to-day behaviors, the things that are so ordinary we don't even think about them, even these things are to be guided, controlled, directed, and infused by the charity that we have been studying in 1 Corinthians 13. And so we have an opportunity tonight in this passage to consider an interesting feature of the portrait of love, one that doesn't maybe stand out as starkly and brightly as long-suffering or kindness or humility, but one which is nevertheless there and nevertheless important and part of the whole portrait of Christian love. Our manners are an expression of love. Because our manners and the way we behave conduct ourselves, carry ourselves in life. All of that is not just based on convention, but is to be based upon the principles of God's word. So let's look at this text tonight under the theme, Love Does Not Behave Itself Unseemly. Or alternatively, to put it in the positive again, Love Has Good Manners. Let's notice first what this means, secondly, how this is practiced, and finally, why this is important. Charity doth not behave itself unseemly. What does this mean? Well, the words behave itself unseemly, those three English words are actually just one word in the original text, and the root idea of this one word is not to be out of shape. Or not to act contrary to proper form. And there's a word picture that we can draw out of this term in the text. Behave itself unseemly. Uh, The word that we find in the text is the Greek word from which we derive our word scheme or schematic. For some in the trades, you'd be more familiar with what a schematic is. A schematic is kind of like a blueprint. A schematic is an underlying plan or an organizational structure for something, something that outlines the shape that something is supposed to have, a schematic. 
And there's, of course, a standard for determining what the proper shape of something is. And so what the text is saying is that there is a schematic for human behavior. There is a standard that determines the proper shape that human behavior ought always to take. The proper form that human behavior should have in the relationships of this life. The proper shape that behavior should have in the various circumstances and situations that God's providence brings us into. Love does not behave contrary to the schematic. But love conforms to that schematic. That shape that is determined for behavior. And now, once again... The schematic is not devised by the social conventions of man or human preferences or anything such as that. But the schematic is laid out for us in the word of God. The principles of Christian conduct that the Bible teaches us, especially in the Ten Commandments, but all of the applications that flow out of those Ten Commandments, the will of God, that is the schematic for human conduct. God gives us principles in his word for God-glorifying behavior. And that determines how we behave in all the different situations, circumstances we find ourselves in this earthly life. That's the biblical foundation for what we might call good manners. Manners are the standards of behavior that we have for people in certain situations or circumstances. And those standards of behavior are important. They become a norm so that when a a certain manner or certain standard of behavior is instilled into us, we just naturally behave that way in that certain situation. Love has manners, good manners. This stresses the truth, once again, that every aspect of life, down to the littlest things, is to be consciously directed to the glory of God, ruled by love. In fact, if we go back a couple of chapters in 1 Corinthians to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, we find that very familiar passage, very familiar to us as Reformed Christians. It's a passage that describes the whole Christian life. Whether, therefore, ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Something as simple as eating and drinking. But now, included in that is the kind of manners even that we have as we eat and drink. Those are to be based on the word of God. And our behavior even at the dinner table is to be directed to his glory. Not just the big things of life. Not just most things in life. All things, down to the most ordinary, the littlest, the seemingly most insignificant. So, to take that example, when we teach our children to have good manners at the dinner table, to sit down, to eat what's put in front of them without complaint, when we teach them to be polite and to say please when they want more and thank you when they're given more, there's a biblical principle behind that. This is more than just a nicety. This is how we show appreciation for mom who prepared this meal for us. We have to thank her. But especially this, ultimately those manners are intended to convey gratitude to God who provided us our daily bread. From whose hand we eat. 
When we teach our children to have respect for their elders and for their parents and for older persons in the church and in the community, that's not just because it's a nice thing to do, but because it's a biblical principle going all the way back to the fifth commandment. Love has good manners. And the connection to love makes sense, doesn't it? Remember what love is. Our definition of love is getting more and more familiar to us. It's an earnest desire and the committed pursuit of the true good of another person, even through giving of oneself, to secure the good of that other person. And so when the Christian lives by love, he or she is always thinking of the other and of God and how my behavior touches upon or affects them. Good manners are an expression of love. Well, let's narrow our focus a little more specifically as we wrap up the first point and see a little more specifically, how Christian love exercises good manners does not act in a way that is unseemly. First, love acts appropriately in this sense that it acts in a way that is becoming, suitable, befitting to the time and situation. To put it another way, love acts In a way that is in order. That is in harmony with God's order of things. God has given a certain order and structure to human life. There are many institutions and things that God puts in life. That give structure to our life. And it's supposed to be that way. Marriage. Relationship of parents and children gives structure to our lives. And we are called to live within those structures And behave appropriately. Children, honoring and respecting and obeying dad and mom. And parents, and loving and providing for their children. And how we behave towards one another and with one another. What's appropriate is defined by those God-given structures. That order that God has given to our lives. That's because God is a God of order and harmony. You see that in creation. Creation is not just a chaotic mess. But creation is orderly down to the microscopic level. God's providence, the natural order, the changing of the seasons, the patterns of the weather, all things are orderly. God's providence is orderly. God is a God of order. And so it is that the more excellent way for the Christian, the way of love is not a way of disorder. It's not a self-willed life where I behave as I please or according to my preferences or whatever the prevailing convention of my society is. But the Christian life, the more excellent way of love, is a life that in all of its details is ordered according to the word of God, the principles that he lays out in his word. Chief of which is Christian love. That I esteem other better than self and seek in a committed way to do good to whomever God puts in my life. Secondly, 
we look more specifically at what it means that love behaves not in an unseemly way. Love that behaves appropriately, love that is well-mannered, observes propriety of time and place. Think of Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 and following. Here in Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon gives expression to this idea that love, the more excellent way, behaves in a way that is suitable to the situation God's providence has put you in. There's a time and a place for some things, certain behaviors, and there's a time and a place when those behaviors would not be appropriate. To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. And so, the text goes on. There is an appropriate season for different activities. The farmer plants During the planting season, he doesn't harvest during the springtime. That would be impossible. That would make no sense. There is a time God has ordered things that way. And so it is in every other dimension of our life. When we are young, youthful, we're not called to retire and just sit around, but we are called to work. That season of our life is the time in which we are called to work. Work diligently in a calling God has given us to provide for a family that the Lord may give us to support the causes of God's kingdom and so forth. That's the activity that is fitting to that time of life. When we go to a wedding, the fitting behavior is rejoicing. When we go to a funeral, the fitting behavior there is to express sorrow and condolences and a word of comfort to those who are mourning. And we could go on and on. We see... Human behavior in God's ordered world ought to conform to the situation God has put us in. Love acts not inappropriately, but appropriately. Third, love does not behave indecently or discourteously. But love behaves with decency and courtesy and due consideration. That's an aspect of love. Love doesn't run roughshod over the neighbor. Love is courteous. Love is considerate. Love exercises decency. What this means is that the Christian, as he lives in this world and as he conducts himself with and toward his neighbor, whether in the church or outside of the church, wherever we go, the Christian is not one who makes his every effort to be as offensive as he possibly can. The Christian is not someone who is supposed to be rude and abrasive. That kind of behavior is unbecoming. Charity manifests itself. In a considerate attitude towards my neighbor. Love doesn't put self first. But neighbor first. When we're unconsiderate. We're not thinking about the neighbor. We're thinking about me. Me. 
And so you see how so many of these things that we call manners have behind them the biblical principle of love. Putting other first. Doing good to the neighbor. Charity should inform the kind of language we use in different settings. The words that we speak shouldn't be thoughtless, careless. As much as we can, we should understand who we are with. Perhaps the particular trials or sensitivities of those people we are with. And that doesn't mean that we're constantly tiptoeing around other people, no. But love cares. And love is not, first of all, concerned about getting out of my mouth whatever I want to say or having the best story, but love is most of all concerned about the impact my words in this conversation may have on brother, sister, neighbor with whom I am conversing. A consideration for the neighbor. That's the seemly behavior of love. How we dress. How we present ourselves, our appearance. This goes for male or female. It applies to both. The Christian ought to have love guiding him or her. And even how he or she presents himself outwardly. Dressing in a way that is offensive or enticing is not showing Christian love. How we carry ourselves in our interactions with other people. Are we cold? Or do we have a polite demeanor? Are we friendly? Or do we give off the impression that, stay away from me because I I don't want to talk to you. I don't care what you have to say. Love behaves not unseemly, but with consideration, decency, and courtesy. That's the idea of the text. That's the meaning, in short. Now, taking that meaning, let's narrow our focus yet more and look at some concrete applications. And here is where we get to how this is practiced. Much be said here, but we're going to focus on a few pertinent applications. How this is practiced. Number one, let's continue to instruct our children in good manners. In good manners. In our day and age, it's easy to let some of those things slip because while in our society, those things are slipping. Our society is becoming more and more ill-mannered. And that's evident everywhere you look. And though we're not slaves to a rigid structure of manners such that the Christian must always be prim and proper to the point of having a sickly artificiality about him. That's not the point. We must resist that trend of our day. Because that trend of our day fits with the culture of our day, which is me first. 
My self-expression is above all things important, and I should be allowed to express myself in any way I want, and if it's offensive to you, too bad. That's not the Christian point of view. We ought to be diligent yet to teach our children good manners and to practice good manners in our home and in our relationships with family and friends and model that for our children. And of course, that doesn't mean we may never let our hair down. It doesn't mean we can't be open and frank. It doesn't mean we can't tell jokes and have a time where we're relaxed. Of course not. Those things have their place. But the good manners of politeness, being respectful to the elderly, and all of the rest, those things are based on biblical principles. And this helps us, parents, in many other aspects of parenthood. Even in things, for example, like the bedtime of our, chi- of our children. Why, why do we have a certain bedtime? Is it just because dad and mom say, well, there's biblical reasons for the things we do as we parent our children. One of the reasons for that custom in your family and other families is that, well, there's a time for everything. There's a time to rise and there's a time to sleep. God has ordered that. It that way. And so God's will for us is that we rest and have sufficient rest so that we can arise at the appointed time and carry out the work of the next day with the strength and stamina required so that we can serve God to the best of our abilities. And so we can teach our children that the reason you have to go to bed at this time is so that you can be rested, so that you can serve God tomorrow. So many things that are convention manners, or just the way our homes and our lives are ordered, have biblical principles behind them. And when we explain that to our children and teach them, they grow in their understanding that their whole life, down to these simple little ordinary things, is not governed by the will of man or the desires of myself, but is governed by the principle of love, the word of God. All that I do is for his glory. And this is what glorifies him. Loving him. Serving him. Doing good to those around me. So that in the first place. How is this put into practice? Let's let's resist the, the trend in our culture that's letting manners slip. That's allowing uncouth behavior more and more to become norm. And keep on teaching our children these things. But with teaching them. Explaining to them the biblical reasons why we behave the way we do. It shows love to God, love to the neighbor. Second, how this is practiced through humility. Through humility. And I want to point out an interesting connection here between this text and the text we considered last time at the end of verse 4. Last time we looked at the fact that charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. That is, love is not proud, but love is humble. 
There's an important connection between Christian humility and behavior that is well-mannered. Those two go together. When you think about it for a moment, that makes sense, doesn't it? When one is puffed up with pride, all sorts of unseemly behavior is going to flow from that proud, swollen heart. Pride leads to acting inappropriately, acting indecently, being inconsiderate of one's neighbor. Why? Because pride, inflated with itself, is lifted up above everybody else. And pride says, I don't have to follow the same rules everyone else does. Because I'm better. I'm greater. I get a pass. I can expect certain behaviors from other people. But I don't have to follow that same code of conduct. Because I'm better. I'm superior. Thus pride while it is a fertile breeding ground of all manner of sins, included among those sins is the sin of unbecoming, ill-mannered, uncouth behavior. That's what pride produces. And so the text calls us to, to think about ourselves and the way we behave in the various situations of our lives. Is there a recurring pattern anywhere where we behave inconsiderately or indecently or inappropriately, could perhaps the root be pride? But when, as Philippians 2 verse 3 says, you esteem other better than self, humility which is that riverbed in which love flows, humility leads to an expression of, of love in the form of appropriate behavior, decent behavior, considerate behavior, because God and neighbor are the ones that are big in my mind, not me. God and neighbor, they're good. What's pleasing to them? Third, putting the principle of this text into practice. This text brings out an important part of what it means to be a good neighbor. A good neighbor. Part of being a good neighbor is being a person whose behavior with your neighbor and toward your neighbor is seemly, appropriate, decent, considerate. This is something that conservative Christians need to hear sometimes because there is this strange unbiblical idea that sometimes takes root among conservative Christians that because we hold fast to the truth and resist the culture of our day, which is swamped with all of that ridiculous stuff about being overly nice all of the time. Our liberal society in which you can't offend 
anyone by doing anything, and so you have to just roll over. Sometimes that mentality can lead to the thinking that I don't really have to try very hard to be a friendly, courteous neighbor. Sometimes it can lead, whether acknowledged or not, to the idea that I can be rude, I can be dismissive, I can act coldly to my neighbor. Maybe he's a Christian. Maybe he's not a Christian. Maybe he's living in sin. And whether I acknowledge it or not, my attitude towards him comes to be characterized by pride again. I lift myself up. And from up here, I don't think I'm bound by the same rules that everyone else is. I don't have to observe the code of conduct of common decency. So I treat him in a rude way. I'm not very nice to him. I don't really care about him that much. That's contrary to the teaching of the text. Teaching of the text is... Not that being a Christian gives you license to be rude, but being a Christian means common courtesy and common decency are given real purpose and value and are infused with new meaning. Common decency and common courtesy are now a vehicle by which you bring and express love to your neighbor. Christians ought to be the most decent considerate people to have as neighbors. When the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself, this is part of it. Love your neighbor by behaving in a way that is seemly, appropriate, decent, and considerate towards him. So you respect his property. You don't be that annoying neighbor that is disruptive Because you care about the neighbor. You show your love to him. Through that courtesy. This applies to the body of Christ as well. Part of living in the communion of the saints. Living in the communion of the saints in a way that we build one another up. Is by being well mannered towards each other. So that the young respect the elderly in the congregation. And even go out of their way to be helpful and assistant to them when they need it. We're kind to one another, careful in our talk, sensitive to the needs and the burdens that one another have. That builds up the body of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1, we've referred to this text a couple times already in the the series thus far. Charity edifieth. Love builds up. And now love, as it expresses itself in all of these ways in 1 Corinthians 13, that's how love builds up. And one of the ways that love builds up the body of Christ is this. As we live with one another, we're well-mannered towards one another. Considerate, careful, decent toward one another. That was a problem in the church of Corinth, in fact. That there was all sorts of disorderly behavior going on that was causing trouble in the body of Christ. One place that we can read about this is in 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 20 through 22. 
Here, Paul is addressing problems surrounding the celebration of the Lord's Supper. There were lots of problems in Corinth surrounding the celebration of the Lord's Supper. But one of them was the disorderly behavior of different members of the congregation. Starting at verse 20, When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and drink in, or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. What Paul is saying is, Corinthians, your, your behavior here is shameful. What was happening back in the early church, around the time of the celebration of the Lord's Supper, the church would often share a fellowship meal together, sometimes called a love feast. It could happen before the service or after the service. And what was happening here in Corinth is that the different members of the congregation were not having any care for each other during this fellowship meal. The wealthier members would bring a feast and they would gorge themselves. Some were even drinking so much wine that they were getting drunk. And the poor, they would come and they'd have little to eat so that after the fellowship meal, some were leaving overly intoxicated with wine. Others were leaving very well fed. Others were leaving having had very little and still hungry. There wasn't a care one for another. There was ill-mannered behavior that was offensive and was causing division and trouble in the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 14, the apostle addresses another form of disorder in the worship of the Corinthian church. People were not observing due order in speaking. And so in verse 26, Paul says, let all things be done unto edifying. The Corinthians didn't have the edification of the whole body as their main purpose. We've seen that before. In the different use of different gifts, people were behaving like mercenaries. They were in it for themselves. Paul concludes chapter 14, verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. That's the way things should be done in the church. Decently and in observance of good order because that builds up the body of Christ. One last application in terms of how we practice the principle of this text. Establishing and maintaining good boundaries. Healthy boundaries. Everyone has personal boundaries. And that's good. We're called to respect one another's space, respect one another's time, not to be busybodies who intrude and meddle in other people's private matters. Personal boundaries, unseemly behavior disregards boundaries, constantly crosses them. Love respects the neighbor's boundaries, respects the neighbor's time, respects the neighbor's space, is not a busybody. Often busybodies who love to meddle in other people's affairs will present themselves as being loving, will present themselves as, I just care and I want to help, but really they have their own agenda. Love behaves in a seemly appropriate way in that it respects the boundaries of the neighbor. 
There's an application there for dating, especially for the youth of the congregation. Love respects boundaries. Love acts appropriately. Love does not push to cross a proper boundary that God has established when He says, this belongs in marriage alone. So for young men, when you're dating, don't push boundaries. Don't push boundaries with the young woman you're dating. That's not love. Because love doth not behave unseemly. Love is well-mannered, considerate, decent, respects boundaries. And to the young women in the congregation, if your boyfriend is pushing those boundaries, you don't have to stand for that. You should not stand for that. And even if he says, I love you, understand, love respects boundaries. Love does not behave unseemly. In dating relationships, in all of our relationships, love respects boundaries. It's important in marriage too. It's part of the way we respect our spouse and show our love to them. Respecting boundaries. One last thing in this connection. In our evil day, it's becoming all the more important that we teach our children proper boundaries. And now in particular that we teach them and diligently instruct them concerning what is and what is not appropriate physical contact or touch. Love doth not behave itself unseemly. We want to teach our children that. That's one of the safeguards against the horrible evil of abuse. When our children know and understand what is appropriate and what is not. And if anything inappropriate happens, tell someone you trust. Tell right away. Nobody, no matter what position they're in, ever has a right to cross those boundaries of what is appropriate. It's never love when someone does that. Love doth not behave itself unseemly. Love is considerate. Love seeks the good. Love respects boundaries. Why is this important? Conclude there. Why is this important? We'll focus on two things that are especially worth mentioning. The importance Of love expressing itself in a well-mannered way. Of being a people who are well-mannered. First is the honor of God. Second is our witness in the world. We love God and we honor him. When we behave in a way that is appropriate. That fits with the schematic of his word. We teach our children good manners. We want them to be well behaved. Not just so that we have socially presentable children. But because that's good and that's right and that's proper. We are the children of God. And as the children of God. 
We are taught by our Father how we are to behave, how we are to live before his face in this creation. And because he is the God of our salvation who has saved us from our sins through the blood of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, it is an expression of our thankfulness to seek and to endeavor to be well-mannered children in God's household. Parents might think about time when one of their children acted very inappropriately in a particular circumstance and how that might have been embarrassing or made you blush. Now, speak as a man because God is not ashamed of his people. Sometimes the way his people behave brings great dishonor upon the name of Father. As children of God, we bear his name. And so that's our ultimate consideration. How I behave. Big things and little things. Ordinary things and extraordinary things. How I behave reflects upon my Father. And I want to reflect his glory and his beauty well. And I don't want to bring dishonor on his name. I want my life to lead others to praise my Father, not blaspheme His name. And so this is important. The instruction of this text is important because it is a a part of the Christian's thankful, God-glorifying life. Think about Jesus. Jesus was the perfect Son of God. And Jesus always behaved appropriately. He was a man who was considerate. He was a man who was always decent. He always respected God's order For life. Even from the days in which he was a child. Go back to that fascinating story. About Jesus when he was 12 years old. Already then he was going about his father's business. And yet as he went about his father's business. As a child he was respectful. He was respectful to the doctors of the law with whom he conversed and of of whom he asked questions. He was respectful even to his parents who did not understand what he was doing. And when they finally found him after three days, were distraught. Yet he submitted to them, went home with them to Nazareth. Christ, when he lived and walked and ministered among us, Christ loved love that was never unseemly. All the way to the cross, where he was subjected to the worst forms of mockery and cruelty, where the worst indignities were inflicted upon him, and yet Christ did nothing unseemly. Not one unbecoming word came out of his mouth, but he humbled himself unto death. And that is part of Jesus' perfection. Not only did he not commit any gross sin, but he was perfectly well-mannered in all that he said and did all the way to the cross. Perfect. And through his perfection, he obtained our salvation. And gave us the adoption of children. And so in thanksgiving to Christ and for salvation, let us, by his grace, strive to love And to walk in a way that is not unseemly, but well-mannered. Lastly, how we behave has a big impact on our witness in the world. 
little things can have big effects. And a single encounter that an unbeliever has with a bad-mannered Christian can completely turn that unbeliever away from the church. That man's a Christian, and yet he can't even extend to me common decency, common courtesy. I don't want anything to do with people like that. Sadly, that's sometimes the case. Christians undercut their own witness in the world by a failure to be attentive to the instruction of this text. That as we live in the world, part of the way we shine, we shine as a light, is being courteous, well-mannered, considerate, decent, kind to all who cross our path. And in this dark world, especially where there is so much ill-mannered behavior, discourtesy, and indecency, That light shines all the more. And love's seemly and appropriate behavior is a simple way that our light can shine. And a simple means that God may be pleased to win the neighbor. To gather a lost sheep into the fold. This too is part of Christ-likeness. And so that's the way. That's the way to think about good manners that are rooted in biblical principle. Good manners is one part being Christ-like, living the more excellent way. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, we thank Thee for the unique instruction of this text. This text which reaches down and touches upon certain parts of our life which are so simple, so ordinary, so regular that we often don't even think about them. Yet this text shows us that even these things are to be directed to thy glory. Even these things are to be infused with, governed and guided by, true Christian love. We pray that thou wilt work by thy spirit in our hearts. That we may all the more consciously and intentionally direct every aspect of our behavior. Down to our very manners. To thy glory. To the good of the neighbor. This we ask in Jesus name. Amen.